0: Thank you, God. Christian gratitude is a little bit different than, um, than the gratitude of the world. So often you hear things like, you know, especially parents with kids, you know, you should be grateful. Well, give me something to be grateful of. Can we thank God? Can we thank God for our circumstances? And even when they're hard to know that our loving Father is, um, is with us and carrying us and teaching us. When I was looking for that video, I was simply looking for something that gave a little bit of a, a feel of thanksgiving, but um, I, I saw that one, and not only does that give us a feel of thanksgiving, but it actually speaks into the, the theme I picked for today. I need to do some clarifying because I didn't mention this last week, but for the remainder of 2016, um, we're going to be going through a series um, Basically I'm titling it What's Missing. And I mentioned this a little bit last week, but I just want to be clear because for the rest of it we're gonna be looking at different things. As I look at the American church in particular, there are certain things that I read in scripture that come to the surface as being very significant that I often see lacking in, in the in the American church. And so I, I just want to challenge us to do business with those things. And I, I just picked six things that kind of came to my mind last week. If you remember, I talked about the theme of repentance. Um, and, and how that, trying to clarify what repentance is. It, sh- it shouldn't be something scary and humiliating. This is how we normally re- view repentance. Rather, it should be something that's humbling, freeing, joyfully comforting, especially when you consider the Father's heart who delights in and celebrates his children's moments of repenting remember the the um the prodigal son when the when the son repents he changes his mind and says father i'm sorry and how did father respond you know you learned your lesson no he celebrates that if that's the heart of the father then repenting should not be something scary should be something joyful i suggested that we grow and establishing a culture at FBC where confession, repentance, and asking forgiveness would be the norm. We'd hear these kinds of things all the time. In fact, in order to deal with the remaining five characteristics in, in this series, we will all need to repent in order to remedy each of these. So you could almost put the repenting theme as an umbrella over all of them. Don't forget what I quoted Eric Geiger, who said, If I cannot name at least one thing at the end of each day that I need to repent of, I'm in a bad place. Let me ask you a question before I go on to like t- this week's theme. Why do you come to, to, um, to the gathering of, of believers, to a church service on Sundays? Now, I'm not asking you to—it's to, hypothetical. You don't, don't, don't answer out loud. But just ask yourself, why do you come? And there's no one right answer I hope one of the answers is to change. I mean, what's at the essence of being a Christian is, um, is to look at the world and say there's something wrong with the world. And then to quickly recognize there's something wrong in here. And if there's something wrong in here, I need God to deal with that. I was mentioning to the praise team this morning as, before we prayed that um, the nature of, of preaching the word is it requires me to kind of be a public hypocrite And so And so I need to explain that a little bit I have two choices when I speak I either, I either have to <clears throat> Take the truth Right And bring it down to something attainable That I can live up to And then I do disservice to the truth Right Or I reveal the truth For all it is Knowing that I'm not there I'm not there So I want you to understand that when I'm preaching stuff like about repentance I'm not sitting here going Come on guys, I figured it out You figure it out No, what I'm saying is guys help me Because I can't do this I'm bad at it I don't want to change I like me You know, at the same time There's things I know need to change But I don't want to change I don't want you to ask me to change You know, I don't want to do that But the truth is, if I look at Christ, if I look at the scriptures, if I look at the reality of my life and the stupid decisions that I make, that's why God gives us wives to point those out. (laughs) Actually, that's true, though. I mean, I I, I don't... (laughs) I was... um, I was thinking about this lot last the last couple weeks, and I don't know where I'd be. And I don't mean this for to be some sappy thing, but um, I don't know where I'd be without a spouse. You know, there, there's no telling where my where my freedoms might lead me if there wasn't somebody going. That's not right. You know, you're a liar. You know, okay. <laughs> All right, I got it. So, so it hurts. I don't like it. But you understand what I'm saying, though, is, is I'm, with, I'm, I'm with this. I always love the quote. I, I, I don't know who, who established it, but I've, I read in an article by Chuck Colson, and he said it's done well for me to remember when speaking to others that I am a hungry beggar. I'm a hungry beggar. Who am I? Nobody special. I'm a hungry beggar showing other hungry beggars where to find food. And so I'm not up here saying... I figured out how to repent, you figure it out. I'm saying, guys, I'm struggling along this thing. I found food. It's in Jesus. Can I show you where I found it? You know, um, and so that's what I want to do through this, through this series. I want to look at some things that are, that are hard, that I think that the, the American church may have dropped the ball on, and I want to help us do business with it. Um, so the, the characteristic that I'm going to be de- dealing with this week is contentment. And no, it is not an accident that I chose this one right after our Thanksgiving feasting and Black Friday and the impending Cyber Monday. I'm so sorry, but we're going to deal with contentment today. And it's hard. <laughs> I mean, I'm already dropping the ball. I mean, I've been on my, I've been on my smartphone you know, and I see the Black Friday deals and, I'm, you know, Cyber Monday week or whatever they call it on Amazon Prime. And, and I'm seeing all this stuff. Um, I need that. I want that. Here's the thing that, that, that's, that's really devious about commercials and advertisements, um, especially this time of the year. I still remember, um, I probably shared this before, but I remember with our son, we, we tried to guard him from TV Part of it is because I have an addictive nature that just w- could watch TV for four or five hours straight and, um, and not like a single thing I watched, you know? And I just don't need to do that with my time, you know? There's other things I'd like to do with my time besides watch a bunch of shows that I don't want to watch. Um, has anyone ever done that? But you're just sitting there and you're like... you know, a little drooling. And then you're tired, and you're like, I should go to bed. Um, those are stupid shows. And then you get up, and you look around your house, and you're like, I should have done that, and I, should have, I could have done that, and I wanted to do that, and I didn't do anything. So we kind of guarded our son from TV a little bit, and I remember the first time, I can't remember what the show was. I think it was um, Sound of Music or something like that. I, I can't remember the first show that he watched. that wasn't a video that we put in. It was an actual TV show. And a commercial comes on And Kristen and I didn't think any different of it Because we grew up in that You know, We grew up watching TV and commercials And the popcorn and getting together as a family And watching The Wizard of Oz Because it came on one time a year Um, We remember those days But we realized that our son didn't know those days When he's sitting there and a commercial comes on And he's like What's that? (laughs) I mean that's literally what he said He goes what's that? And we're like, oh, it's a commercial. Well, can, can we just fast forward it? <laughs> he, had, he had no concept of what a commercial was. But um, even now, I've been trying to tell him that this is the time of the year where people will prey on you. I mean, they do it all year long, but especially this time of year, and they'll start saying, you need this, and you have to have this. Or here's one that I hate, that every year we seem to hear it more. You deserve this. And as you're Christmas shopping, don't forget about yourself. Buy yourself a car. Then go to the gumball machine and get your relative something. I mean, it's... So I mean, I mean, you want to talk about a season where contentment is not what the what they. Tra- I, here's here's another illustration. Um, when I fir- when I finished my freshman year of college, I got a job um, selling knives. Oh, I hate marketing. For those of you who are marketers, um, God bless you. I don't know how you do that. With a clean conscience, but anyway, <laughs> but I sold on um, Cutco. Some of you might be aware, and I don't. I don't feel bad about the product. We still have our knives; they're great knives. But I remember that um, some of the the techniques that they we went up to New Jersey for a sales conference, and they taught us some techniques on how to better sell these things. You know, and the one that really stuck out to me was. Um, because we'd be selling these in homes We'd be talking with housewives and things like that A lot of times you get to the end of your sales pitch Where you're doing all kinds of ridiculous things with knives Like cutting through leather straps Because, man, if I just had a knife that could cut through a leather strap I guess that's important But anyway so, And so at the end of it so they're, they're, um, the, the wife usually says Man, I really like these, these knives um, As soon as my husband gets home um, I'm going to talk to him, and then we'll, we'll make a decision. And, um, and one of the lines that they taught us to say that I never said was, do you let your husband make all your decisions? What? I was like, you, are you serious? You seriously want me to break up a marriage over a set of knives? I mean, where are your values, you know, <laughs> or, or, or things like here's a person who microwaves 90% of their meals, and I think that he needs a homemaker set with 40 steak knives, and a, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter what they need. You just convince them that they want it. Um, contentment. Wow. Well, I haven't started that message yet. I'm still doing the intro, so I'm sorry. Um... <laughs> So yeah, it's not an accident that I chose this one right after Thanksgiving, Cyber Monday and all those things. For the remaining four weeks of 2016, we'll be looking at other characteristics, and I'm going to line up these characteristics as things that I see as lacking in the American church, but they're also going to line up a little bit with, um, with the Christmas story. So they are, you'll have to come and find out. I'll tell you what the other four characteristics are later. Um, I will say that um, next week we're going to deal with the innkeeper, um, his story. We're going to deal with Joseph the following week and some of his difficult decisions. Um, On the 18th, we're going to deal with the angel's song, and I think the song is very similar to the apostle's hope, and we'll look at that briefly. And then on Christmas, we're going to look at the pathway for the promise and what that means. One more thing, though. When I say we'll be looking at characteristics that the American church is missing, I mean that these characteristics need to be dealt with both as individual believers and together as a local expression of the body of Christ. The older I get, the more I'm convinced of the corporate nature of the church. I used to think it was a bunch of individuals that had a common belief that got together. But I think... When God calls me to repent He's calling me to repent as an individual He's also calling us as a church When he calls me to be content He's calling me to be content as an individual But he's calling us to be content as a church too And that's complicated But we have to figure out both How do I pick up this this characteristic in my life And how do I facilitate this characteristic growing in our life I think God speaks to that. When one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers, right? If I refuse to repent, I'm hurting you guys. If I refuse to be content, I'm hurting you guys. And that's true for all of you. We are a local expression of the body of Christ, so we need to do business with these characteristics as individuals and as a body. And as a body, that's complicated. I know how that works, right? I mean, simple illustration. You ever do stupid things as a kid? Not me. I only did smart things. (laughs) Samuel's not in here, right? Okay. There's certain stories I'm not allowed to tell them yet. We used to light old bed mattresses on fire, and there's this hill that... You know, would go dip, and you could go flying on your bike, and then you could just shoot up, and, and so we would like do these jumps over top of these burning mattresses or flames going up, and so we'd al- you'd always light you'd always light the mattress, and um and then you always have this situation. <laughs> we should jump over that. Yeah, yeah, we should. Go ahead. No, oh, you do it first. No, you you know nobody does it. You know, and um and finally there's that one idiot that does it. <laughs> Flies over and you're like, "Huh, that actually worked." And then everybody else starts doing it, right? I, I think when we go through these characteristics, it, it might be kind of like that, you know? Hey, I think we should repent. Yeah, I think we should. Uh, you do it. <laughs> I might crash and burn. I'm not gonna do that, you know? I might get made fun of. I might look silly. I might look undignified. I might let, look less of a Christian than I am or at least less of a Christian that I want to portray myself as. Maybe it's going to take somebody to be brave and then maybe the body will start to follow suit. I don't know. I don't know. These are things I just want you to think about and pray about. So pray that the Holy Spirit will work in your hearts to convict you in areas that need to be addressed as an individual. Pray also that FBC will find ways to demonstrate these characteristics together to a watching world that desperately needs to see what following Jesus means. And as we lean on each other in correcting this lack, we will be emboldened to take risks knowing that our brothers and sisters have our backs. We're in this together. Let me pray and then let me get to our our main text for today. Jesus, I just pray you be with us today. You love us just the way we are. You are not unaware of our struggles. You're not unaware of our differences and our disagreements. You're not unaware of our dislikes. And you love us the way we are. But because you love us, you discipline us, that we might become a better witness of your gospel; that we might be a better proclaimers of Jesus. And so, Lord, we want to have the courage to allow you to make us who you want us to be. I pray you be with us as we wrestle with these themes and with these characteristics, knowing that you're not going to beat us down with them, but you also want to see us grow in them. Be with my mouth. Protect it from folly. Be with the ears and the hearts of the people here. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you do your work in them as you see fit. And we will trust you in that. Bless the remainder of the service for your purpose and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to be looking at 1 Timothy 6 for the bulk of this. Um, I'll start in verse 3. The, the, the text will be on the screen, but if you like checking your context... Context is king. <laughs> you remember that. Good. Very good. Thank you. Um, <laughs> then you might want to open it up in your Bibles. But I'm going to start in verse 3. And Paul writes to Timothy, "...if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness..." He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. with many pangs. So we're dealing with contentment, and if you're following in that verse, contentment isn't really dealt with until verse 6. And yet I started in verse 3, so why did I start so far before the verse on contentment? Well, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked. It has to do with context. There's a word at the beginning of verse 6, and that word is, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So I'm not going to understand fully what Paul is talking about in verse 6 if I don't understand what is connected to that verse, but is a connecting word. Therefore, it would be unwise to look at verse 6 without considering the contrast that the author was making. So prior to verse 6, Paul is describing discontentment. There's even an if-then statement in there. The then is implied at the beginning of verse 4. But it tells us that discontentment is a negative virtue that creates false teachers. That really jumped out at me as I was looking closely at this verse. He's talking about false teachers. And then he goes to verse 6 and says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. And so the, the, the strong implication there is that when you let discontent well up in your heart... That's the soil for a false teacher, for someone who teaches incorrectly about the, the truth of Scripture. Paul actually dealt directly with false teachers in First in, um, Timothy 4, just a couple chapters prior. And I'll read verses 1 and 2 just so you get an idea of what this discontentment can breed inside your heart if you let it go unchecked. In 1 Timothy 4, Paul writes, Now the Spirit expressly says in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. That's not a very flattering passage, is it? That's what discontentment breeds. In your heart A deceitful spirit You're prone to Desire the teachings of demons If that sounds like an overreaction Paul said it, not me The insincerity of liars Consciences are are seared Are you content? It's pretty important I would say to do business with that The consequences are huge Do you know anyone who's discontent? As I was looking at various commentaries and wrestling through this, um, there was a list of characteristics that can be described as discontentment. Um, the, the various theologians would, would come up with lists of either three, four, five, six six items long. I kind of condensed them down into four characteristics. And so I want to share with you briefly four characters of discontentment. The reason, the reason I'm sharing these with you is for you to test your heart. So do that as we go over this four characters of discontentment in verse 4 paul writes this person he is puffed up with conceit and so the first characteristic is arrogance or i remember the african bible commentary that the, the author writes egocentric these people are egocentric they think highly of themselves they're not concerned with others only themselves Worse yet, what's really at the heart of this arrogant, egocentric characteristic is a person who feels that we know better than God. I mean, think about it in Philippians 4:19, "And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus." You ever feel like your needs aren't met? I do. But let me do business with my heart there What's really happening When I feel like my needs aren't met And then I look at Philippians 4.19 My God will supply all all of my needs Well, There's a couple things going on there One, I'm calling God a liar Two, I'm saying that I know what I need Better than God does So God, you can just step off the throne until you can figure out what my needs are because I got this figured out. That's dangerous, guys. That's dangerous. If you let that fester up in your heart this season, as we hit Cyber Monday tomorrow. (laughs) I know what I need. I need this and that and one of those. I'm a guitarist, so that's... So that's what I mostly think of as guitars. If you guys see any deals on any PRS hollow body twos, just let me know. I'm talking like 95% off type things. So yeah, the first characteristic of discontentment is, is... is to be puffed up and conceited, arrogant, egocentric, thinking that you know better than God. The second one in verse 4, Paul goes on and says, He understands nothing. This person is ignorant. Now let me clarify. When I say ignorant, we think of somebody who's just a dummy or an idiot, or I know those are unkind words, but that's what we often think when I say ignorant. He's just ignorant. No, I don't think that's the case. I mean, this person might be philosophically clever. He might be a sharp orator, someone who speaks well. After all, according to Paul, these false teachers, they have a following. However, when it comes to a deep understanding of scripture, this person is uneducated. He's ignorant. Do you know the scriptures enough to be content? Thirdly, verses 4 through 5, it says, He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people. This person is divisive. He's unable to discern between the essential unifying aspects of the church and the non-essential trivia That only causes fights This is a huge problem guys I mean test your heart again on this This is a huge problem In in the American church today We fail to draw lines on issues That get at the heart of the gospel While bickering over things That have little to no bearing We turn our heads To greed, gluttony, racism And oppression of the defenseless and then we wave our flags on modes of baptism, stewardship, music styles and so on. That that's the heart of someone who's discontent. That's the heart of someone who's a false teacher who's willing to draw dividing lines on things that are not essential and fails to draw dividing lines on things that are essential. And let me clarify. When I say non-essential, I'm not saying non-important. Okay. Some of the non-essential things are very important. They just shouldn't be dividing points. For instance, for instance, on my list that I mentioned there, I mentioned modes of baptism. I think it is important to think seriously about modes of baptism and the symbolism that we're trying to communicate when we do that. That's why we're Baptists, because we take that seriously. But is it something that I'm going to draw a dividing line and say, you're not a, a Christian? Why? Because your mode of baptism? Do I really want to draw those dividing lines? And yet I fail to draw dividing lines on things like greed and gluttony and oppression of the innocent, and we don't make a big deal out of those things. Those are somehow optional, peripheral things of the Christian life. And then we make those other things the essential things. That's the heart of a discontent person, someone who craves controversy over silliness, over things that don't get to the heart of the gospel. Finally, in verse 5, this person imagines that godliness is a means of gain. This person is greedy. So, like I said, you could probably come up with more things on the list, but four characteristics of discontentment is someone who's arrogant, thinks they know their needs better than God, they're ignorant... They don't really understand the gospel message for what it really is. They're divisive in the sense they bring silly things to the surface and they conceal important things. And they're greedy. Money is their God. The gospel serves their desire to be self-sufficient rather than their blessing serving the gospel in all of its expressions. Do you see how we could do that backwards? Right? The gospel for this person serves their desires and you could put anything in there we put, we put, we put money on the surface there but you can put anything there I'm going to use the gospel because it gives me a good reputation and good standing in, in, in society that's using the gospel that's not serving the gospel I, I'm going to take the gospel and I'm going to use it because it puts me in a community where I have good fellowship and feel good that's a good thing, but that's still using the gospel. I'm going to take the gospel because it's advantageous to me gaining wealth. It puts me in shoulder to shoulder with other businessmen or in my case I could actually have an occupation. It's dangerous. It's dangerous if that becomes my mode my motive for preaching the gospel. It's very dangerous. It breeds a heart of discontent which breeds a false teacher. Remember what he said, and some people, because of that, has actually wandered from the, from the faith because of that discontent that's harbored in their hearts. Rather, we take the blessings that God's given us, whether it's a musical instrument or a skill or time on your hands or you can cook or you can, you know, we take our blessings and we use it to serve the gospel in all of his expressions among the body of Christ and into our community. Does that make sense? This person assumes that godliness is a means of gain. We cannot seem to be able to separate want from need. When I'm fixed on something I really want, it begins to feel like a need. What is your gauge for a need? I know that, well, I don't know, I, I, I've, I've, never, I, I've never been on the female side of this, so I don't know. But I know for men, we tend to fixate. I'm not going to ask men, women, <laughs> do your husbands tend to fixate? Yeah. We tend to get zoned in on one thing and ugh, we get stuck there. My, at least I do. Maybe I won't speak for you. I do. I remember when our when our car got wrecked a, a couple of years ago, and I'm um, I'm online looking at uh, well, what do we replace it with? And so I go and I'm looking at Edmunds and I'm looking at uh, Kelly Blue Book and I'm checking this sale and checking that sale, looking at the gas mileage, I'm looking at the 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 repair records and I'm checking all this stuff out. And oh man, it's so confusing. And then next day I get up and you know what? I start again. I read the same things. I go back to Kelly Blue Book as if it changed over eight hours. But I'm. <laughs> But what happens when you fixate like that, when you, when you, when you get, get narrowed in on your wants, what, in your heart they start to feel like needs. I need that. i got to have that. I'm going to be lacking if I don't have that. So you have to have a gauge. What is your gauge for needs? Well, Paul gives us one, verses 7 through 8. He says, We brought nothing into the world... And we cannot take anything out of the world, but if we have food and clothing, with these, we'll be content. So, for you guys who are mathematically minded, I'm going to be in dangerous territory here, but I'm going to start using some mathematical equations here and try and figure out what Paul is talking about here. He has a formula for contentment. This first one is a simple way of looking. It is nothing plus food and clothing equals needs met. Nothing... Plus food and clothing equals needs meant. Can, can you are you guys content? Because I got a whole lot more that's supposed to go on that needs column. But that's Paul's formula. Nothing plus food and clothing. What is it that I want more than these things? Think about this. We have Jesus. We have treasure in heaven. Just let that settle in. We have Jesus. We have treasure in heaven. We have fellowship with the Father. That's not poetry. That's the Creator who said, let there be light. And we have fellowship with the Creator, the one who could crush us if He wanted. Right? We have fellowship with the the Father who has the power to, to run the universe, the power to hold us however He wishes. Nobody changes His plan or His will, right? And He's my Father, and I have fellowship with Him. We have paradise prepared before us. Where Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. What? Is it about the place? No. Because where I am, there you will be. We'll be with Jesus. As Christians, we have those things. Do do you really want to go to God... And talk about the more that He's depriving you of. I mean, that's good. I'm glad that we have this prayer channel open up. You know? (laughs) That's good. I'm glad that I that that I have a treasure in heaven. I'm glad I have the assurance of eternity. But my goodness, I mean, could I have just a few extra square feet in my house? Because you're really (laughs) you're really depriving me, God. Could I have, I don't know, could I, could I, could I? Do you really want to go to God and tell Him about the more that He is depriving you of? Consider Paul's formula. Contentment basically means a deep satisfaction even in the face of loss. Or you could say satisfaction with what you have with nothing added. Ironically, Paul is, te- is, is saying that godliness with a satisfaction in the face of loss is gain. It's kind of like saying loss equals gain. Nothing equals everything. So I'm like, I'm trying to figure out what is this? Godliness with contentment is great gain. So here, I'm going to work out some more, some more formulas here. If you totally check out a math formula, that's fine. I'll come back and I'll do this a different way later, but bear with me for the math formula. So here we, here we have God, G equals godliness, okay? C equals contentment. All right? I have this neat, neat symbol. I looked it up. Um, it's this little, if I read it right, it means, uh, it means not. So everything else besides godliness. It's an actual symbol. I don't know if it's philosophy or algebra or whatever, but for Paul's purposes, this is our symbol, okay? And then finally, we have the infinity sign that I'm using for great gain. So those are our symbols. (laughs) People are like, oh man, I thought I got away from algebra. Why are you making me look at this? (laughs) Ha, sorry. So here's how the formula works. C, go to the next slide. C equals godliness minus everything that's not godliness. Contentment equals godliness minus everything that's not godliness. Or you could say... Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. Or let me put it the last way here. Godliness plus godliness minus everything that's not godliness equals great gain. I'm sorry. Ruth's going nuts over here. You you tracking with me here? Well, good. it's, It's fun for me, so that's it. (laughs) <laughs> that's why I do this Because it's fun for me I, If it's fun for you that's just an added benefit All right. So godliness plus godliness minus everything that's not godliness Is great gain In other words Jesus, Jesus says that he's giving you godliness Now some of you are saying I don't feel very godly right I don't feel very godly I'm in process If I were godly you know, Chris if I were godly then why do you tell us I have to repent Well let's not mix these These concepts here You do have to repent I have sins in my life I have habits I have patterns that are bad But that doesn't change the fact That Christ has given us godliness One of my favorite verses ever 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he who knew no sin Became sin for us So that in him we might You guys know that that verse? Become the righteousness of God He's given that to us So in Christ, my standing before God is I'm godly. I'm righteous. I'm the righteousness of God. He's given that to us. So that, minus everything else, is great gain. That's contentment. Are you okay with that? I mean, I didn't put this in my notes, but I was thinking about going here and talking about the rich young ruler and it always puzzled me what did he actually mean when he told the rich young ruler he said what must I do to inherit eternal life and, and, and Jesus looked at him and don't forget when Jesus looked at the rich young ruler the gospel writer says Jesus loved him you just check the story that's what he says Jesus loved him so he wasn't just antagonizing him in this story he looked at him he loved him and he said go sell everything you have give it to the poor come follow me and the rich young ruler couldn't do it and walked away. And Jesus said, oh, how hard it is. I wonder, it may have been a tear in his eye. Because he loved this man. He said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for the, I, in my mind I always saw that as a, a rebuke. How hard it is. But I forgot about that phrase. He loved him. I wonder if it was a soft tear in his eye. How hard it is. I wanted him to follow me. It's so hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Philippians 4. Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In, every, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Three times in that passage, I know you guys will be looking at your Bibles and you say there's only two. I think one is implied. Three times he speaks of learning. Do you ever think about that? Contentment is not something you just have or don't have. It's something you learned. Paul viewed his life circumstances as an opportunity to learn contentment, which is a satisfaction in the godliness God has given you without anything else. So he learned this. So if you pair the things, he said he learned contentment. He said he learned the secret of enduring lack and then he said, "I can do all things." I think that's a third learned there. I can learn. I, I can do all things. So contentment equals the secret of enduring lack, which equals the ability to do all things. This is not a natural characteristic. This is something that's learned. I posted a video on our Facebook page or our Facebook group last week about a young couple, Ian and Larissa. And I, some of you probably have watched that. I saw some responses there, but. Um, Basically, a quick summary, it's a young couple who committed to um, dating each other intentionally, hoping to get married someday, and then Ian got in a horrible accident and had severe brain damage. And if you saw the video, you saw it's pretty significant. He, he can barely take care of himself, though they've managed to get to a point where they can communicate. Larissa decided after some time that she was going to follow through with her commitment. And Larissa and Ian got married, even though he had that devastating accident. Larissa's quite a blogger now. She writes quite a bit. And she wrote... um, Let me read what she wrote. She says, One thread of consistency over the past nearly six years since Ian's accident is the secret that Paul spoke of. For me, watching Ian... Contentment has often felt elusive and like it was always two steps ahead, never allowing me to catch up. Soon after Ian's accident, I often deceived myself into thinking that situational changes would move me up a few on the contentment scale. But our situation continued in pain. God was teaching me, little by little, what the secret means. I did not know contentment in my prosperity. Contentment then meant health and ease, not God. God has not given us an indication that Ian will be fully healed here, which means that we have needed to enlist ourselves in suffering. We still pray for complete healing, but we also pray for strength to endure a lifelong disability. We are learning contentment is produced as we obey and act on his promises, like the one mentioned above. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Did you catch that? In essence, Larissa is saying that when they experienced health, wealth, and prosperity, her contentment was not based on Christ. Her contentment was based on her prosperity. Which is to say that prosperity became her satisfying God, which is idolatry and in a global setting, as American Christians, we have more abundance than most of the world. It's a dangerous place to be. Are you content? Are you learning contentment? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Probably one of the most misused, misquoted, out-of-context verses ever. And so I did a quick thing, just for a little bit of fun to correct us, is I found some internet memes so those of you know what that means, that use this verse, because this verse is everywhere. It's on t-shirts, and so you, you, you tell me, when, when one goes up there that actually communicates uh, the context of Philippians 4.13, you let me know. I mean, that's a cute picture. I do like the picture. I'm pretty sure that's not what Philippians 4.13 means. No? Uh, let's try the next one. Again, it's a neat picture. I, I showed it to my wife last night. She said, "Well, symbolically, what they're trying to say, it probably does." Okay, I'll give you that. So this one's a little bit of stretch, but I can say that Philippians 4:13 does not mean that you can just go rock climbing. You know, just claim Philippians 4:13. Well, that was a bad idea. Let's try the next one. How about this one? We become like these athletes. You know. Let's not exercise. Let's just enter the triathlon and claim Philippians 4.13. I can do all things. See how your heart holds up with that one. This one, I think, is definitely accurate. Next one. That, that, that's, that's got to be what Philippians 4.13 means, right? It means that bears can ride teeny tricycles. That's exactly what Paul was thinking. Uh, two more. we got this one, another, another uh, thrill seeker. How come Philippians 4.13 always has, has to do with thrill-seeking? I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure it's not. One more. There you have the boxer up there. It's got a it tattooed on his chest, which obviously Paul said, you can do all things, which means you could beat the snot out of other people. It's obviously what it means. Or it means super kid, or it means let's win football games, Philippians 4.13. Now, I have read our um, interviews with Tim Tebow, and I, I know that's not how he's using it. So I don't mean that to be a slight on Tim Tebow, but I am saying that it... Paul's not talking about winning football games. In fact, I had to make my own because I couldn't find any that really contextually communicated Philippians 4.13. Let's look at this here. I didn't make this one. The next one I did, but here. He says, bro, what are you doing? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In the name of Jesus, I'm going to jump off this building and fly like a bird. Dude, hold on. That's not really. I can do all things except read Bible verses in their proper context. So here's an internet meme that I made that I think better communicates what Paul's talking about. I've learned what it means to be hungry. I've learned what it means to, to be in lack and still be content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. That's what it means to be able to do all things, to be able to pursue the godly life to be able to declare Christ in the midst of all kinds of things. This bottom one, if you need some explanation, here is an article that went with it. This police officer saw this homeless guy there and um, literally gave the shirt off his back. But how would you do that? You just lost your shirt. Why? Because I can do all things. I can lack. I can, I can endure lack for the sake of Christ. Let me wrap up. Food and clothing. Food and clothing. What are some things that are not on that list? Housing, transportation, number of outfits, number of shoes, number of vacation days, health insurance, freedom, liberty, religious freedom, access to education. There's a lot of things that are not on that list. Food and clothing. With this, I'll be content. I met a man named Pastor Min in Philadelphia. He was a pastor of a Philippine church and um, was a Vietnamese. I think he was a Philippine. Cambodian. Okay, thank you. He was Cambodian. I told First Service Philippines. Um, But everyone who knew him said that pastor men held the blessings of God with an open hand, which meant two things that I never thought about. Because I always saw blessings as bad, you know. These are going to hold me down. But Pastor Min was able to take the blessings of God, and when God gave them to him, he enjoyed them. It's okay to enjoy the blessings of God that he gives you. But as soon as God decided, Pastor Min, it's time to give that blessing to someone else, he didn't grasp it. He let it go. I saw him give up a guitar that he loved playing, his only guitar, because some kid wanted to learn how to play guitar. I saw him give his car away. He said, I could take the bus. This guy needs a job. He held the blessings of God with an open hand. It's a quote by Elizabeth Elliott, who, um, She's the one whose husband was killed by the Alka Indians. And she says, If my life is surrendered to God, all is well. Let me not grab it back as though it were in peril in his hand, but would be safer in mine. Let us view Jesus as the more than plenty that he is. Let us not make gods of our comforts and securities. Let us be free to give and receive according to the riches of God's mercy. And if God so willed, let us be able to say with Job, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are the treasure in the field. That you are worth selling everything to obtain. Help us to see you as that valuable. You are the great joy in our lives. You give us the comforter. You prepare the place for us. Lord, We we don't lack anything. There's, There's no more that you are depriving us of. So as you bless us, help us to praise you with the blessing. And as you take from us, help us to praise you with the transfer of the blessing to others. Lord, teach us as individuals and as a church what it means to be content, not desiring what others have, not desiring how you work with others, not desiring anything but that you would be our God, give us godliness, and enable us to declare your glory. Help us to learn this, especially this season, that we might declare who you are. We pray, praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.